0: This is part two of two episodes of Over the Edge, featuring an interview between Matt Truffiro and Vish Nandlal, VP Technology Strategy and Ecosystems at Dell Technologies. Vish is an experienced CTO and a highly regarded telecom visionary. He is responsible for defining Dell's technology strategy in the big six domains, including 5G, Edge, Data Management, Cloud, AI, and security. Widely recognized for his contributions to the industry, Vish has also held CTO executive leadership roles in telecommunications for 25 years, including Telstra, Ericsson, Extreme, and Nortel. Vish has been awarded a fundamental patent for LTE, published several widely cited technology papers, and holds several patents for the design of cloud-based mobile applications and communication services. In this episode, Vish discusses the future of technology and his excitement over augmented reality and virtual reality. He also talks about the future of edge computing, including everything from cost to security and the realities of what's needed for its advancement and further adoption in the tech world. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors.
1: Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes.
0: And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefero and Vishnan Lal, VP Technology Strategy and Ecosystems at Dell Technologies.
2: Now, Dell is one of the founding organizations of the Open Grid Alliance. In fact, Vish, you are one of the founding board members. Tell us a little bit about why this concept of a grid or an open grid is important. In fact, to you, what what is it and, and why is it important?
1: Earlier in our discussion, we were talking about this evolution of the internet. Yeah. And we, we've moved towards this internet where we've centralized compute that creates pooling efficiencies but it comes at the expense of propagation delay. But largely, what fueled the internet was the growth of a digital economy that was self-contained. Right? It didn't have a lot of tendrils out into the real world. And I think what Edge does, it starts to put up a series of sensors into the real world, and it bridges this real world with this cyber world. So that fusion, you know, you hear it come into different context, right? Whether it's digital twin or or metaverse, these are all cyber-physical
2: systems. Cyber-physical or physical
1: systems that yeah. they all they all relate largely to the same end goal of how do I bring the physical world and you know apply the the means of productions of the digital world on that so that we can grow productivity overall for everyone. So I think that that's kind of the origin of where Edge comes in. It's largely in order to to meet the timescale realities of the physical world, I need to be closer to physical things that I'm governing.
2: Yeah, in fact, one of the best definitions of of edge computing I've heard, and I've heard them all, and I've, I've made up some of them myself, <laughs> it was from the, the CEO of ZenLayer. He said, the edge is where the digital meets the real world. And I think that's right. And the, the closer and physically, but also just, just temporally and from a, a business alignment, like closer in every sense... Is is sort of the 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 objective of Edge, right? That like the internet just becomes the device, and the device just becomes the internet.
1: There you go. I mean that that to me is magic in in some ways, right? Yeah. So I mean,
2: let's let's talk. Let's get the magic in two dimensions. So mm-hmm. one is what this allows us to do. So let's focus on that first, and then let's let's back into what needs to be in place and built and Collectively built in order to make that possible. So, what are, what are some of the, the amazing things that you see coming into our, our future if we do this right?
1: In terms of use cases, there's a lot of poster child use cases. The one yeah, that I'm, I'm very excited about is obviously AR and VR. And we know that there's
2: this is why an why why are you so excited about that? What 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 well, cases you?
1: This it's opportunity to to kind of live in a virtual world and interact with people in a virtual sense. Kind of helps to build, helps to bridge the distance between different communities that are disparate parts of the world. The, you know, the, the birth of the internet was called the death of distance, but in a real human sense, that distance still still dominates.
2: Another right? another shade of the meaning closer. That's interesting. It, it yeah, is. it's like socially and culturally closer.
1: Exactly. You know, to be able to bring an experience to someone's own, you know, geographic bubble. To me that that's you know akin to the vision of Star Trek and the Holodeck and all of these things where you know it's inspired generations of engineers. We finally have an opportunity to be able to deliver that kind of experience. So can we grow empathy on the back of that? I am a big believer that meeting people builds empathy and building empathy bridges differences. And you know, not to put a picture of we're all holding hands and singing kumbaya, but I do think these things help. Ultimately problems problems can be bridged through these types of these types yeah. of services so that to me is is really interesting i do think that i've long been very worried about the way technology has been developed over the course of let's say even past two decades in the world economic Forum will throw this out and that we haven't really seen the productivity gains and it, it's why there's definitely diffusion issues there's you know, maybe it's
2: unevenly distributed. For every time-saving macro, I've got five more emails in my inbox.
1: <laughs> that's right. I think the reason that's what why, happens. I think the reason why is that real productivity comes at the intersection of people, labor, and the types of tasks that they're trying to do. A lot of what Edge can do is to start to mediate that intersection. So we might be able to drive more productivity gain. So if I think of cobots, which are collaborative robots that work alongside humans on factory floors, that that ability to put in automation and that automation generates new tasks to increase and take advantage of the extra kind of the extra revenue that's captured as, as a result of that productivity and invested into new labor who, who can do new tasks and do higher order tasks, that becomes really interesting to me. And I think that that's something, again, from a use case perspective, when we look at smart factories and smart manufacturing, something that edge does help to deliver. And I think we're going to see a lot of early entrance into the edge space from an industrial perspective, kind of be able to, to, to reap the dividends of that. And I do think that it'll start to ultimately track in terms of productivity gains much more directly than what we've seen before, because we're now entering into the real world where services are done and services are rendered. And when it touches human labor, and productivity i think that's where we'll see the impact to gdp so i think that that, that could be the real gift that edge is going to be able to deliver is the the realization of all these technologies that have had a limited reach are suddenly going to be able to spill out of the cyber domain and into the into the meat space if you will and and start to resolve some of that that disconnect
2: yeah and i mean i've been in the, the edge space i mean for the last six or seven years in this mm-hmm. new sort of wave of of edge and i co-founded the state of the edge and so am i right. can have credit or blame for establishing some of the canonical definitions around it but one of the things that i've realized is that is that the edge is more of an aspiration well it's it's a it's almost a marketing term it's like, right, it, 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 and it means the, all these things that you're talking about, which is how do we improve productivity? How do we make it less expensive? How do we make it more transparent, more integrated, more collaborative, more all these things? And it's not just the edge that's required. You, you require a lot of other things that that may not exist literally at the edge or they may need to exist at the edge or they may be sort of orthogonal to the edge because it's like software orchestration or something, which is why a group of us went out and formed the Open Grid Alliance, which is to say, okay, edge is important, cloud's important, Internet's in between. There's all these applications we want to build and deploy with this, these new technologies that are closer to the endpoint. How do we do that? Yeah. So what's, what's, what's your view of that? You
1: hit a, a super important point, which is technologies in and of themselves are a dime a dozen, you can call it edge or IoT or, or, or anything. It's really when you have the coevolution of that primary technology with a set of complementary technologies that it takes root and is able to start to deliver benefits.
2: The Internet of Things doesn't do much use if the Internet you're thinging is not real time and deterministic.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> so all, all of these other things have to come into play. Yeah. You know, to your point, you know what? So, what are the enabling? capabilities that we have to deliver. You know, again, I'll I'll go back to some of the, the early insights I've gotten off of Edge are this. One of them is what kind of workloads are best going to be optimized for an Edge? And we know out of the box that there is going to be some things that are shaped by the economics of Edge and then the utility of it. And those two things have to kind of form an optimal point. And the things economically that we'll know about the edge is that the compute is just going to be more expensive when it's distributed versus pooled. That's just an economic reality. So the the compute resources will be more expensive, but at the same time, we know that the transmission resources should be less because I'm not going through as much transit in order to deliver the content to an end user. And so the application probably doesn't need to be compute intensive, but it's probably bandwidth intensive. One of the big things that, that that satisfies is probably content distribution, which is why, obviously, content delivery networks were, were the Very first. The first edge, map. yeah, example, yeah. But, you know, you could think of live TV as being another enabler of that. You could see cloud gaming, which has long been pursued but hasn't been realized. Google Stadia seems to be fading back. In fact, the, the players that seem to be doing well are not Actual cloud players, it's companies who actually had the console like a NVIDIA GE Force. So I think what, what was lacking was enough density at the edge to be able to guarantee or assure the experience because you do need a certain level of interactivity that's less than, let's say, 100 milliseconds and closer to maybe 20 milliseconds. So I think those two things are going to be important in terms of understanding what's going to be needed for the edge. It's what is the class of applications. The other side of it is going to be how can we make them more secure? Because there's a physical security and then there's a cyber security issue around edge. And I think that that really starts to dominate in a lot of enterprise minds in terms of how am I going to manage, you know, incorporating this into my IT real estate. And that's an area that I think we're starting to get burgeoning understanding of. We've we've obviously we've obviously got the, the principles of zero trust that are helping us to, to govern that. We, we're we starting to look at things like distributed identity mechanisms in terms of concealing privacy, those types of things. I think that there's mechanisms here that we're, we're, starting, to, we're starting to shed light on and they're and, and starting to get implemented that are going to be important for us to be able to really get the power of edge. I think the other side of it is how do I get enough not just density of endpoints, but how do I get enough connectivity between edges? Typically, that would be through some kind of equivalent of an IPX or equivalent of a pairing point or exchange point for edge. We need to figure out how that's how that's going to scale and how that information is going to be exchanged. And how do we do that in a way that doesn't break the benefits of edge, where it's still driven largely by propagation delay? So you know, we're definitely going to have to look at different ways of tuning the networks so that clusters of edges that have a relative latency to an end user that is similar can be grouped and can form kind of a a distributed pool of service creation points that can deliver the experience to whether it's a machine or a human. And I think that that's super important. How we architect that, oddly enough, we've done things like that before. If you look at like an Anycast network that's being used in CDNs, These things are incredibly complicated to deliver, but they use similar concepts. You know, it's not clear to me that, you know, we're going to be able to use anything out of the box to do this. I think what we're going to find is that there's a set of practices that will have to evolve over time. And we need to share those operating practices to be able to build and tune these networks so that when I load balance across a cluster of equidistant edges from a given point of use, that that I can balance that and I can calculate that really, really quickly. And then I can partition my network up like that. So that it makes it scalable and it makes it deliver on the, the guarantees that, that we're, we're hoping to provide. So I think there's a bunch of technologies in there that, that need to be delivered at scale that we didn't necessarily have at scale with CDNs. They were much more proprietary siloed instances. This is going to be tough. This is not easy. I think that that itself is going to be very, very tough.
2: One of, one of the things that I like most about the vision of the Open Grid Alliance is it's kind of coming at it. You talked about the slow way and the fast way, and and it does seem like you do need both of these to push and pull on each other. But in terms of like things happening at the edge, the slow way has been winning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I love that the Open Grid Alliance is about look, let's let's go make stuff work from a technical standpoint. A, but also a business standpoint. And the the point you made, the, just the complexity. I mean, we, in the innovation zone in Las Vegas, we stood up a very, very simple video inferencing over GCBRS system on the grid in Las Vegas. And there were no fewer than 20 parties involved from the manufacturer of the radio, which like was the first one in North America for 5G PAL, light PAL spectrum CBRS to the Software company that's that's running the video management system and, and the AI yeah, inferencing, and everybody in between, right? From the, the Dell servers to the Amazon Outpost to all of these things. Right. And, and two things that struck me: one is just that, like, the number of partners that have to converge to make something happen, but also that it did happen. This happened in six weeks that this came yeah. together, which is also inspiring. And so, what I what I see maybe as a an end result of this, and I'd be interested in your opinion, as you think about like let's say factory automation or or something like that. It's like today, you go to one company and you buy a pretty bespoke solution that all sits mm-hmm. on-prem. Go to Rockwell International or some system integrator and, you, and you, you get this thing. And the advantage is you've one neck to choke, as they say, and a, a bunch of work that goes into solving your particular use problem, but you don't get any of the advantages of like, cloud economics which what i really want what i really want i think as a factory owners i want a bunch of general purpose open interface six degree robots and then i want to download the software that works great for it that's for right. my application and maybe that's a little too dreamy because making a car is different than making pencils but i i, I see that as the trend that in the history one company to come and assemble all these vendors and like making it into something that works and that'll happen for a while but eventually there should be some there should be a lot of drag and drop, like I want to use this radio and this server and this software, and more or less, you should be able to assemble it without a lot of painful gymnastics. But I'm interested in how you see that evolving. Yeah,
1: I think you're you're hitting it. I'm kind of searching for the right words for it because there's lack of, you know, for a full business model, I always say that there needs to be kind of four elements, but three of them that are important. You need to understand how are you creating value, how are you delivering value, how you're capturing value, and the forces kind of You need to understand your basis of competition so that you can understand relative differentiation, mm-hmm. and all those things are important in an economy like the hyperscaler economy. Let's say
2: mm-hmm.
1: those elements are all well understood. Everybody knows how they're creating value. Everybody knows how they're capturing value, capturing value through offering these services and developers are coming to it. And you're you're able to capture value through the utilization of those underlying services, the VMs that are deployed on it, and the services that you're offering on top, whether they're database services or other you're charging for those. You know, maybe the the the, the basis of competition is is largely the number of people that are using it, the number of customers that you have. And everybody's lying for the number of workloads that they can host on their 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 hyperscaler clouds. More well understood, they can execute that. The the issue to your point around edge is that most of those are not well understood. So how do different members create value in edge? Mm. So what does a Dell do to create value? What is what does a Vaporio do to create value? And what are our, all our relative positions? You know, how do we each deliver value? How do we each capture value? Because we don't want to stack our rates up and make this untenable. Right yeah everybody
2: wants 80% margin. Why is nobody buying it?
1: That's right. So all of those rules haven't been shaped as yet. yeah. And they need to be formed through point solutions where people can start to grow commercial partnerships and then understand what those relative values are. But as more and more point solutions grow, the the practices that are developed in one point solution start to become apparent across point solutions. And then we see things go from okay practices to best practices, and that's where
2: yeah you, you get that competition real might emerge in that that yeah. particular yeah because the interfaces are well defined and the business relations are well defined and the competitive pricing is you know right. kind of known and yeah and the disruption opportunities are maybe a little more obvious yeah uh, and I just think
1: we're we're on the technology evolution curve for that and we're in a period not of execution but of discovery. And those two phases of any kind of technology diffusion is important to understand, right? And so the expectations for what we're going to do now should be very different than what the expectations are when we're actually executing, because we're actually looking to get enough deployment out there. So right. that there's some critical mass.
2: Yeah.
1: And so it's about wins and getting as much density of, of, of edge nodes as we can. And then it and it's really starting to tweak out, well, what are the things that can be deployed at scale that have? To Where
2: make- are these efficiencies and how can we, yes. Can or, we- we're kind of like
1: in the, you know, in a startup cycle, it's when you get product market traction, we're not really sure.
2: Right? Yeah.
1: We, do, yeah. we don't have product market fit as yet. We've got a bunch of ideas and hypotheses and I think some are working, but it's uneven. It's yeah. uneven across deployments. And I think we're, We're probably on a natural evolution to hit that in another three to five years, where, you know, the discovery phase is going to exit, and then we're really going to see it scale. And the caution I give to people who think, well, wait, is that that's not the way the industry works. You don't see this evolve linearly, it's going to evolve, you know, kind of exponentially exponentially.
2: Right, right. Um, it, it, it gestates and gestates and gestates, yeah. and then it explodes. The people that were there gestating are the ones that benefit from the you'll, explosion. You'll get
1: the dividend, right? And so that's the thing that it's cagey to to kind of explain to people. That's why I was kind of hesitating a little bit. I was going, well, how do you explain this in the right way? We could explain it through a technology evolution, but I find most people can sympathize with that view.
2: I, I think one of the, one of the most powerful trends that technologists tend to ignore and i'm sort of throwing myself into Mm -hmm. that that group which is just the very simple question which is how does the customer buy it and and what do they have to go through and how much pain is it and if you think about what customers want is they want a solution to the problem with no financial or or technical or security risk right and and what that probably means is a Turnkey product that's been proven in the market that I can consume as a service. Yes. And those aspects, there's so much of things that exist in the physical world that are just starting. You know, and you can't, can you say that you're like Uber is a car as a service, right? Well, for a lot of young kids, it actually is. Like, they don't want to own a car. Like, yeah. i am much rather have the person who knows how to own and operate cars own the car, just like I'd much rather have the person who knows how to own and operate servers own the server or things like that. And so it's, it's – and you see Dell responding to, to demands like that with the XPEX program. I mean, in the old days, it looks like a lease, but it isn't. It's, a, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm usually – I'm going to Dell, and I'm getting a server based on a pay-as-you-go relationship. Which really is how I want to own it. In fact, I probably don't even want to manage it eventually, and that's a solution. That's somewhere between you and the cloud provider. That's that's there are different solutions for that.
1: I think you got it. Yeah, I think when you're looking, I, I like the way you described it because it's yeah. How, how is a customer going to want to consume it? And they just they, they want to have it's kind of the fuel versus friction discussion, right? They want all the features, but they want it at no friction. They don't want to have. <laughs> I don't want to have any of the issues in terms of yeah. I got to put I got to put a local IT administrator on this and I got to hire a bunch of people for $70,000 a year. Um, yeah, you know, let's hide all the complexity
2: to- in the network and and let the the Dells and the Amazons and the Microsofts and the vapors of the world worry about it and right. let the enterprise just say I want I want building security as that? a service. And, yeah, I want yeah, that.
1: And it's done. And I think you're right. It's weird in terms of how these cycles work, but usually the industry starts off as like an Apple industry where everything's vertically integrated and it works, and then it ends up as those things work, they start to modularize in different functions. Yeah, and that's where you get scale, out, and then you get scale on the back end where it becomes the Android of the world. So it's a it's a funny it's a funny way to kind of navigate because you navigate with the end customer mind in the beginning and you try to vertically integrate and put everything as turnkey, and that means managed services and things that are probably a little bit more bespoke. But as you get to that inflection point where you need the economies of scale, things have to modularize and standardize. And we're kind of doing both at the same time a little bit,
2: right? Okay, my last question, Vish. This has yeah. been a great, great conversation. My last question. So if you look out into, into the near future, let's say the next, I don't know, 18 to 24 months, yeah. and you had an opportunity to implore your colleagues, the other technology and other in, in companies that, that, should they want to take advantage of the inflection, should be doing things now, what would you have them do? Like, what's the, what's the call to action to accelerate all of this that we talked about?
1: The, the thing that I think we, we've done well is to put some of the fundamental stack in place for Edge. And I think I'm actually pretty pleased with the way it's evolved.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think what hasn't evolved, and maybe there's only one or two companies I can think of that have been focused on it comes down to what we were talking about earlier. How do you remove the friction? It's how do I abstract a lot of the distributed nature of edge? Hmm. Because that's going to be the the thing that really kills it, is the the fact that you've got to sense make the edge in a way that someone can visualize it. And you've got to, much like how, I'm thinking of some of the work that's being done in W3C today was web GPU, and it came out of WebGL, and hmm. even WebRTC. Those things, when they come out, they're interesting, but they're only accessible by a limited pool of developers. And so the way they work is there's a bunch of abstractions and runtimes that are put on top of it, where it opens up the aperture of accessibility to a broader pool of developers. And the the, the things that we haven't looked at for Edge is how do we do how do we do that? How do we make it like if I think of how many developers there are in the world, the, the numbers kind of vary from 25 to 30 million. And so all the applications in the world have to be mediated through this group. Yeah. And to the extent that they don't have accessibility to be able to develop applications and deploy applications to these edges is going to be a problem. Yeah, I see that. They're the fuel of the experiences. And so that's kind of what gets me a little bit worried is that these edges are highly heterogeneous. These edges are... Highly complex in terms of the resources that are optimized for the different things, whether it's an AI accelerator, whether it's kind of a low-power processor that's running a uni-kernel, whether it's right. – there's a lot of different things that create, you know, an unevenness, which require
2: – And it's and it's way too complex to reason about in a yeah. human brain. It's it, way it, too complex. You need oh. abstraction and automation, yes. But,
1: so those two things I think are important. One of the things, like I said, I, which I thought was, was – you know, a friend of mine, Jason Hoffman, had a company called Mobile Edge. Oh yeah, that I know Jason really went, well. You know Jason, and that was recently bought by Google. But you know, that to me was one of those things that helped to right. find and, and home the resources and create the federation.
2: They're trying to federate the edge and provide a uniform interface to that. Yes, that's right. It, tapping the developer community.
1: I think that's a that's a, a beginning piece, but there's so much more that we need to do. Yeah, and it's really how do I how do I create that ladder system. For all these developers to be able to create amplification. Having a developer create the same application for a different edge is, I mean, we know how difficult that is just between smartphone ecosystems, let alone edge a class of edges that could burn the thousands. So getting them to rewrite something a thousand times, that's not gonna work. So we need we need some some kind of abstraction layer, some kind of runtime that kind of enables that portability and obscures all that complexity. The, the power of the edge in some ways, counterintuitively is going to be joint optimization of the hardware and the software. But for this to Ooh, get with, scale,
2: without, without the software developer having to know that that happened. <laughs> <yeah>. So We're <laughs>
1: never going to get scale if that's what we do. Yeah. So we have to figure out what's that middleware that does that. And like I said, there's, there's examples of us having been successful in that in the browser industry, I named a few. It's even in um, the different abstraction layers that are used for GPUs today, getting the developer community being able to write AI applications for GPUs took someone to write that. And you know, we're going to need to take that up to the level of a compute platform called Edge, and then move that even out in terms of how do you manage a cluster of likewise platforms that may each individually be heterogeneous, but can. Serve. Yeah, but
2: what's interesting is my first instinct on who is in the best position to build that are yeah. the cloud providers and maybe VMware and maybe a couple of other companies like that. There are a few. Hashcorp and there's a few companies that maybe could build this thing, or at least there are obvious candidates for them. I'm sure mm-hmm. there's a bunch of startups that could do it. And I think that we do ourselves, and I mean collectively the world, a disservice if it's any one cloud provider that does it in a, non open sourced way that's right so th- that's going to be an interesting tension because we need all the cloud providers there but we also need them to recognize that multi cloud is the future and that they they're gonna to have to build differentiation you know not by locking an API but by some other method
1: i I couldn't, couldn't... agree with you more I mean mm-hmm. to, to some to some extent this comes down to a values and principles thing as well for me I mean I was part of the free internet movement of the 90s and I, when I say free internet I didn't mean that we should all get internet for free, it was, we need to make sure that no yeah, there one- There are no open, artificial
2: barriers of, of, yeah, no of great hindrance. We can't control that it, the internet.
1: We can't yeah. have that. And uh, I think you know the edge could be the last bastion of the open internet. It's kind of like, it'll be the Dyson sphere that surrounds the internet and we're going to feed off of. Because once an edge is in there, you can pierce the opaqueness of all these different provider networks. And just do peer-to-peer communications between different edges. And that becomes your Tor network. That yeah. becomes your privacy. That becomes even a, a middle layer that allows you to get the same kind of services the big providers use today for their application delivery. There's all sorts of interesting things that could happen once we do that. And I think, you know, it's really up to us as a community to start building that and laying the foundation for it. So that, that's why I'm excited about the OGA.
2: Yeah, that's really, well, and it's also instructive that Amazon's a co-founding, Amazon Web Services co-founder of the OJ too. So certainly they are, as representative of that industry, looking to move in that direction. Hey, Vish, this has been a terrific conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show and looking forward to maybe doing this again in a year.
1: Yeah, Matt. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. And it was a lot of fun. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell
0: Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting Dell.com.